Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? This is the day. Now, that psalm, um, even though you could wake up every day and quote that, and I think it would be appropriate to do so, that's not really what it means. It's talking about a day that the Lord had put on the biblical calendar, prophesied in Zechariah, Daniel, and the Psalms, and a day that predicted the arrival of Jesus Christ riding into Jerusalem. That's what Palm Sunday is about. It was actually called Lamb Selection Day for the Jews. It was Nisan 10 on their calendar. And it was the day when Jewish families, according to the Passover Uh, commands in the book of Exodus would bring a lamb into their house. That lamb would be kept in the house, in their house, throughout the week and sacrificed on the Passover. Some of the ancient writings say they they would sacrifice the lamb that they had kept all week at twilight on that Passover day, which happened to be Friday. And Jesus Christ died at three in the afternoon on Friday of Passover week, At the time when the lamb for the nation and for the households would die as well. And God was definitely communicating a very clear message uh, to all of us. But this is the day that the Lord has made is also something that I think we can apply to every day that we celebrate new life in Christ. Because that ride into Jerusalem is a ride to save you and me from our sins. And the Jewish people, when they saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem and they were waving the palm branches, they were thinking of a, largely of a nationalistic deliverer, someone who could remove the Roman bondage from them, someone who could save them from Roman occupation because the Romans were now oppressing the Jews and had come in and dominated their land. But Jesus had a much bigger enemy in mind And in fact, uh, later that week, you know, first they lauded him, and I don't think this was true of all the people, but I think the people who lauded him and said, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, at least some of those people switched that refrain to crucify him, crucify him. Because I think many of them were disappointed that he did not lift the immediate thing that they could see. What was more important is what they could not see, that they were desperately in need of deliverance from their sin. The next time that he comes, he will come to deal with the powers of the world. That's his second coming. The first time he comes is a lamb. The next time he's coming is the lion. And he's going to roar from Zion. And anybody who's his enemy, it's going to be a very bad day for them. But this is the day that the Lord has made, is focusing now on Palm Sunday. So let's, let's prepare our hearts, Father, as we get ready to read a psalm together, a messianic psalm, a, a prophetic psalm that's uh, well known, maybe to at least uh, quite a few of us, especially the end of it. But, but it's so rich and so meaningful and it has so many jewels that we need to hear this morning. And so right now, would you just... Help our hearts to be in tune with your word. Let us be like Samuel who was instructed when God speaks, just say, 
your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. We want to be tuned into what the Spirit says to the church. The church is your people. It's not a building. It's your people assembled here this morning. So, Lord, just remove all distractions from our hearts. Whatever heaviness we brought in here, let us lay it at your throne. Let us cast every anxiety to you because you care for us. You love us. And the rest of this time together, Lord, may we just hear what you want to speak to us. Add and take away from what I have on my computer screen here so that ultimately you would speak and we would obey what you say. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a cell phone, would you go ahead and put it on silent right now so that doesn't become a distraction to us? And would you turn to Psalm 118? This is the day, Psalm 118, this is a messianic psalm. Would you also hold a place in Zechariah chapter nine, which is the second to the last book of the Old Testament, just before the famous Malachi. That's the Italian for the book of Malachi. Okay, this is the day I will rejoice. Every time you and I worship and meet with the Lord, it's a chance for a new beginning. My wife does a lot of the graphics in the church, you know, preparing slides and, and that kind of thing. And she reminded me that today is the first day of spring. And it's kind of interesting that today's the first day of spring, and we're talking about this is the day. And one of the first things that I wrote in my notes this week is that every time we meet with the Lord, it's a chance for a new start. He's so good, he's so forgiving, he's so uh, gracious to us that every day, in fact, every moment that I decide just to bow my heart afresh to him and seek him and say, Lord, you know what? Um, the last couple hours have not been so wonderful. <laughs> the last couple of weeks, I haven't been a very focused Christian. Can I start over? Every day, every moment of every day can be spring in our hearts. Spring is a time when new things begin to blossom and grow. And springtime is a reminder, just like we saw last week, we saw the man with the withered hand, remember that? And his hand was a picture of the nation or an individual within the nation, dry, parched, you know, void of life. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And the man, the man stretched out his hand by faith and it was restored. Every time you stretch out your hands by faith or stretch out your heart to almighty God, you have a chance for restoration. Again and again and again, the Lord will pour his spirit in new ways into your life. If you're just willing to ask him, if you're just willing to say, Lord, I need the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the flesh have been showing up way too much in my life, what are those? Outbursts of wrath, dissensions, factions, things of that sort, sexual sin. You see, this day can be your day. Every time that you meet with the Lord can be your day if you are willing to do it the Lord's way. And that's what it always comes down to is the willingness to be willing. To just say, Lord, right now, I need you. So this psalm is going to take us through some of those things and then we'll ultimately arrive at the arrival of the Messiah. Psalms 113 through 118 are called the Hallel Psalms. And the Hallel Psalms are connected to a word that we say quite often as Christians, Hallelujah. 
Hallel means praise, and when you add the Leluya on the end, or Luya on the end, what you get is praise the Lord. His name could be translated Yah. So Hallel is praise, and then when you end it with Hallelujah, you are saying praise the Lord. The Hallel Psalms, part of the Psalter, or the 150 Psalms in your Bible, were the hymn book of Israel. And they would sing these psalms, especially at the major feast of Israel. And they say that Psalm 118 was a very prevalent psalm that was sung at the Feast of Tabernacles, which will be celebrated in the fall. But it was very prominent in the uh, celebration of Passover, which happened in our spring around our March-April. And the Jews would sing it. In fact, when Jesus shared the Last Supper meal with the apostles, it says they sang a hymn. And many people ask the question, what hymn did they sing? We already know what they sang. They sang the Hillel Psalms because that's what the Jews sang every Passover. In fact, we could be probably pretty assured that we know that Jesus most likely sang Psalm 118. And verses 22 through 27 of that psalm are very messianic. What that means is that they're all about the Messiah, prophetically written, get this, 1,000 years before he was ever born. You know, when Charlie Campbell was here and he was telling you about one of the evidences that the Bible is divine rather than human in origin is prophetic or prophecy, prophetic writings. And this is going to be another example of that where this psalm is written pointing us to the Messiah. Did you know that Jesus sang? Apparently in uh, the book of Hebrews indicates that he will sing in heaven. I bet he's got a wonderful singing voice. And he sang with his apostles on that night. Mark 14, 26 says, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I asked you to hold a place in Zechariah, and that is just before the book of Malachi, second to the last uh, book of the Old Testament. Zechariah, writing about uh, 500 years before this event takes place. Zechariah 9, verse 9. I want to show you the prophecy. Many of you have read this before, but I want to pick out some aspects of it. Zechariah 9, 9 opens this way. Rejoice, what's it say? Greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble, this is another prophecy, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now we know Jesus rode in on a donkey, which was my understanding of history, an animal that indicated peace, not a war horse, although Revelation 19 pictures Jesus coming back on a horse. And that's gonna be a time for war, but now it's a donkey. It's a animal of peace, which indicates that he's come for the purpose of bringing peace to our hearts. And Zion is told, Israel's told, rejoice greatly, shout in triumph. And that's what the people, back to Psalm 118, were doing when he was riding in. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. They were shouting, but did they know why? Did they know that the prophecy actually said he would be endowed with salvation? And they could have thought, well, yeah, salvation from Rome. 
from our enemies. No, from the twin enemies of sin and death. And that's where a lot of people missed it. They wanted the, and it's understandable, they wanted that yoke of bondage lifted from them, but Jesus came to deal with sin. Psalm 118, verse one, very much like Zechariah opens this way. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is, Psalm 118, one, for he is good. His loving kindness, that's the Hebrew word hesed, is what? His love is everlasting. Hesed is a word used in Hosea and other places in the Bible. It's transliterated C-H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And it speaks of God's covenant love, his loyal love. So sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated his loving kindness. But it's a single Hebrew word called hesed. And it speaks of a love that will never give up on us. A love pictured in the book of Hosea when Hosea is told to, to marry Gomer, a wayward wife, and that whole book becomes a picture of God and Israel. And no matter how many times she goes wayward on her husband, uh, his lo loyal love is supposed to picture the love of God, and he takes her back again and again and again. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Did you know God is good some people wonder about that. Some people question God. Some people wonder, is he really good? Can God really be trusted? Yes, God is good. Now, Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. But not everything is good that happens to you. I know we have a famous phrase in the culture, it's all good. It's good, bro. It's all good. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but it ain't all good. When I hit my finger with a hammer, and I rarely use a hammer, but it's an illustration. <laughs> I don't sit there while my thumb is throbbing and say, it's all good. No. I say, that's bad. However, the Lord is so good that he will weave it together somehow for good. Now, sometimes I wonder how, but he does to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. His loving kindness is everlasting. We live in a culture where love is given and taken away. He loves me. He loves me not. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But the loyal love of God is not dependent on anything except his decision to love. His love, his loving kindness is everlasting. His love never fails. It never gives up on me. Sometimes when I give up on myself, he still won't give up on me. That is an amazing love. And that's the kind of love that God is asking you and I to live out. He's saying, will you love people like I love? Will your love be everlasting? Will you live out a covenant love in your marriage when things are not perfect? When it's not going well, will you say, I will be loyal to my covenant? You see, this is what it's about. This is 
if you want to put a heading in your Bible, this is a call to worship. Verse one is a call to worship. Worship leaders often get up and they start a worship set. And many of you come in like this. You got drool dried on the side of your mouth. You're saying, somebody inject coffee into my vein. And then the worship leader, fired up, says, let's worship the Lord. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) it's a call to worship. Sometimes we need a call. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Sometimes it's one person. I heard a worship leader years ago, he said he went to a worship conference filled with a bunch of worship leaders, and he said everybody was stiff and they were doing worship, and there's a bunch of worship leaders, and nobody, they were like, I don't know that person after me, I, I don't know. And one man in the crowd stood up and began to raise his hands to the Lord, and the whole dynamic of the room changed. One man, one woman willing to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can make all the difference. And so we open the psalm, with this call to worship. Why? Because his loving kindness is everlasting. When you go through the Psalms, worship is regularly associated with the giving of thanks. In fact, I would say, here's an application point. If you are a worshipful person, you are a thankful person. If you are a worshipful person, you will be thankful. Because a worshipful person focuses on God. And when you focus on God, you can't help but be thankful. Are you a thankful person? If you find yourself having pity parties regularly and having an attitude of ingratitude and find yourself in the corner telling people who care about you, hey, hold on a minute, I'll just be over here doing some stinking thinking. Be back in two weeks. (laughs) Maybe you need to look at your heart. Look, we're all going to go through trying and difficult times and even times when we would say God doesn't always make sense. But a worshipful person is a thankful person. Is that you and me? You see, the Feast of Israel were times, and this is around the day when Jesus would come on Lamb Selection Day during Passover week. The feasts were times when Israel had a chance to go to the homeland and renew their covenant to God and be reminded of who they were. And each time we gather Sunday, Wednesday, with our families around a devotion, we get to be reminded again of who we are. Have you forgotten who you are? Is that why maybe you are at a low in your life? Well, these verses, uh, many psalms tell us we should worship the Lord or be thankful because he's righteous, Psalm 717. He does wonders, Psalm 91. We should worship him with all of our heart or give thanks with all our heart, Psalm 91. We should give thanks to his holy name, Psalm 30, verse 4. We should tell his deeds among the nations, Psalm 105, verse 1. And for many of us, we know this verse. It says, through him then, Hebrews 13, 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We are to continually offer up a sacrifice of thanks See, what we tend to do is we tend to focus in life on what we don't have instead of what we do have. And when you, when you start to have that mentality, you become a person that's always wondering about the next thing. And I need this instead of saying, look at all God has done for me. 
when people turn to the Lord or turn back to the Lord, it's always reflected in their speech. Application point, when you turn back to the Lord and you get refreshed and your eyes are focused on him, it inevitably comes out in the way you talk. The fruit of our lips is the core of our heart. Everybody with me? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a good way to measure your walk is what's coming out of your mouth. Because what's coming out of your mouth is the condition of your heart. And sometimes we need to be encouraged to get back to the Lord. The book of Hosea deals with this. Let's go there, Hosea. So let's go to the right. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Okay, we're in chapter 14. If you are having trouble locating the book, just pretend like you know where it's at so your neighbor is impressed with you. (laughs) If you have an electronic device, this should not be a problem. H-O-S-E-A. However, I will tell you this. I'm sitting in Bible studies quite regularly, and I've got this old beat-up Bible, and people say, Pastor Michael, man, that thing is beat up. Wow. Yeah, but it's got a lot of good notes in it. It's old faithful. It's a sharp sword. Praise God. Anyway, I'm a bit old school when it comes to that. But sometimes we're, we're going to read at a table. We've got 20 guys around the table, and the dude with the electronic device is saying, hold on a minute. It's, it's not working. It, it... <laughs> Get a Bible, man. Anyway. <laughs> Hosea 14. If you have an electronic device, that was intentional. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm... no it's okay. I use those too. I got one right here. It says, Hosea 14, verse 1, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Shuv is the word return. It also has the idea of repent. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present or offer what? The fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again our God. It sounds like they're making a commitment to God, to the work of our hands. For in thee, the orphan finds mercy. And God responds through the prophet, I will heal their apostasy, their waywardness, and I be their backsliding King James. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. They are saying, no longer, Lord, will we... Worship the works of our hands. No longer will we uh, give allegiance to golden calves and those kinds of things. And the Lord promises in verse 5, I will be like dew to Israel. Think of springtime. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. If you turn back to Psalm 118, this is the recipe of new beginnings. Last week, or not last week, last night, We went to a banquet for Corona Life Services, and there are the Corona, uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center in our community that are trying to protect the unborn. And every day, people are making life and death decisions behind the doors of a little place on Main Street, Corona Life Services. Abby Johnson was the keynote speaker, and for eight years, she was the head of a location for Planned Parenthood, I believe, in Texas. She grew up in a Baptist family. She embraced the pro-life position. 
However, she was a college student and there was a a seminar one day out in the courtyard and they were recruiting college students to do uh, work at various companies. And so there was this big pink display of um, Planned Parenthood and she went over there and began to engage with them and they recruited her and she eventually became an employee of Planned Parenthood. And she said somehow she had convinced herself um, that it wasn't all bad and the abortions were a small percentage of their work and she was lied to. And, but she hit a crisis point when she remembers she went to a huge banquet for uh, Planned Parenthood and she was at this annual banquet where they give out an award. They call it the Margaret Sanger Award. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. By the way, she communicated her philosophy of the beginnings of Planned Parenthood with Adolf Hitler And uh, it was based upon the idea of trying to get rid of largely the African-American community, but more than that, really all inferior races, as they put it. So the, the organization has a very racist beginning, and every year to this day, they still give out the annual Margaret Sanger Award. And that year when Abby was there, I think it was her final year at Planned Parenthood, it was in the the spring, I believe, of 2008, the award was given to Hillary Clinton. And she said she was sitting at that table and she said to herself, I'm on top of the world. I'm sitting here with Hillary Clinton, all these Secret Service people. I've arrived. I've made it. Look who I am. Look at me. She said she was prideful. And then she said um, she was an up-and-comer in the organization and She was asked one day to come in and assist on an abortion where they were showing what occurred on the screen. And I will not get graphic, but you can read her book about this. She said what she saw so horrified her that within five minutes, she was trying to seek out the people who had been praying for her and others outside that Planned Parenthood for the last eight years. She said in five minutes, she resigned And she had realized that she was personally responsible for the death of over 20,000 babies. Do you know in America right now, just in our country, 3,000 babies die every day to abortion. Now, I'm not condemning anybody here. We've all made mistakes. We probably were all touched in some way by this issue. And I know it's a divisive issue in our society. But she went from thinking she was all that Uh, talking about what she had accomplished to saying, oh Lord, forgive me. She describes it as an experience of being born again. Now she's serving Christ and she's become a very vocal voice for pro-life. She had to have a moment where her golden calf was eliminated. She saw it for what it was. She had to get back to the Lord. And when she did, she's become a powerful voice now for pro-life. In fact, she said they set up an organization where anybody who is a, a leader in a clinic for Planned Parenthood or a doctor who performs abortions could have a place to go to if they want to get out. And she said in the last three years, they set this up and they were estimating that it would be really good if they got 10 a year to come out. She said in the last three years, they've gotten 213 Planned Parenthood workers, you can clap for that, and doctors who perform abortions who sought them out and said, I want to get out. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving, Psalm 50, verse 14. 
Pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me, God says, in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. Enter his courts, or enter his gates with thanksgiving. His courts with praise, it says right outside the door to the sanctuary. Give thanks to his name. Bless, give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his loving kindness is what? Everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 118, verse 2, that was only one verse. We're going to have to move more quickly, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Psalm 118, verse 2 says, Oh, let Israel say. Now, I want to tell you that this was done in what's called antiphonal praise. Here's the picture. Travelers would be moving in caravans to go from distant lands to the homeland in Jerusalem, from Galilee and other, even other nations. And as they would be moving, they would be singing through the Hallel. And they would do it in antiphonal praise. And here's how it would work. The leader would say, oh, let Israel say. And they would respond, his loving kindness is everlasting. Want to try it? Oh, let living truth say. That was fair. (laughs) Oh, let the house of Aaron, verse 3, say. His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say. Now, I know that some of us, when we think of modern uh, worship songs, we say, there's too much repetition. And sometimes that's true. (laughs) But I want to show you something in Psalm 136. This may be both prescriptive, corrective. Every verse in Psalm 136 says his loving kindness is everlasting. All 26 verses. I'm not trying to make a case for a repetition that is just silly in worship songs. But if you're going to repeat something, this would be good. Let's try it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Verse 1. Give thanks to the God of gods. His loving kindness is. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. It's getting weaker. To him alone who does great wonders. Ah, to him who made the heavens with skill. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule by night. Yes, I will stop. (laughs) Should I not? Anyway, back to Psalm 118. Do you get the picture? These people, when they worshiped, they were not afraid to shout. Every time they were reminded of a promise of God, they would say, man, God is good. They focused on his everlasting love. It was as if the worship leader had to say, come on, folks. Let Israel say, let the house of Aaron say, let all those who fear the Lord say, let living truth say. (laughs) Wow, I wasn't even asking for it, but there you go. You see, sometimes we need someone to say, come on, come on. You know, in today's day and age, that's what they're saying to preachers now. Come on. It used to be, amen. Yeah, but now it's, come on. And at first when I heard that, I thought, I I don't like that. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you know what? It's not too bad. Because it means that people are engaged. Now you say, well, this is all wonderful stuff. I need a little bit more coffee to really <laughs> track of this. But this is not all about happy times. Look at verse 5. From my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place, NIV, in my anguish. I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The word distress means to feel like you're in a narrow, tightening place in life. Distress, downcast. And the psalmist says, I cried to the Lord in my distress, and he opened up the tight place into a wide place, and he set me free. Oftentimes, it's not that my circumstances have changed, it's just that I've gotten my eyes off my problems and back on the Lord. See, O Lord, my, for I am in distress, Lamentations 1.20. Jonah cried out from the belly of the fish. Talk about being in a tight place. He said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and thou did hear my voice. You see, sometimes when you read something like that, you say, okay, that sounds good, but I'm still feeling pressured and distressed. What do I do? Well, verse six says, the Lord is what? For me, I will not fear what can man do to me. You see, when you begin to cry out to the Lord, you are reminded of God's promises. This is a key. When you are in distress, and maybe everybody else who's hooping and hollering and hallelujah and all that stuff, and you can't, you can't track with that, but you're here in your life, you can say, his loving kindness is everlasting. Another way to say that is the Lord is what? Verse six, he's for me. And because he's for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 18, six, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what shall man do to me? Philip Brooks writes, what a vast portion of our lives is spent in anxious and useless forebodings concerning the future, either our own or that of our dear ones. Present joys, present blessings slip by and we miss half their sweet flavor and all for lack of faith in him who provides for the tiniest insect in the sunbeam. Oh, when, when shall we learn the sweet trust in God? Our little children teach us every day by their confiding faith in us. We who are so mutable, so faulty, so irritable, so unjust, and he is so watchful, so pitiful, so loving, so forgiving. Why can't we, slipping our hand into his each day, walk trustingly over that day's appointed path, thorny or flowery, crooked or straight, knowing that evening will bring us sleep, peace, and home. You see, we get so caught up in the things that we cannot control and the things that weigh on us that we often lose focus. But the psalmist says, the Lord is for me, verse 7, among those who help me. Therefore, in light of those promises, I shall look with satisfaction, get this, <laughs> on those who hate me. You know, when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are bound to have some enemies, especially if you're an active believer. Um, I have some people that are not happy with me 
right now, this morning. But I hope that that is because I shared the truth with them. I know there's some people, when they have heard me speak, and I could talk to you about this later, or know the platforms on which I stand, they have communicated clearly to me that they don't appreciate me or what I stand for. And I just say, oh well. Because if I have pleased my Lord, then I have done what I'm supposed to do. And even those people who are mad at me, they're sometimes mad at me because God's doing something in their heart already. Are you still contemplating which way you should go this morning? Well, the psalmist says it's better to take refuge, verse eight, in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Where's the highest, the most influential person you know? Do you know someone who's high up in an office? Well, that can get you some things. Maybe get you out of a ticket. Maybe get you a table at a dinner. Maybe get you into some places you may not be able to enter. But there is no one on the planet who can do for you what God can do for you. And it is always better to go to the Lord. Have you been going to all the wrong places trying to find your answers instead of going to the Lord? The psalmist writes, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. Think, this is still a song. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. 11, in the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You guys want to sing this one? They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as fire, uh, as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will what? Surely cut them. Oh, you guys don't want to sing that, huh? (laughs) Can you imagine that? I have not sang a worship song like that. In the name of the Lord, we will surely cut them off. Yeah! (laughs) Yeah. You see, you want to sing those songs when this verse comes up. You push me violently (laughs) so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. You see, sometimes when someone's pushing our buttons, that's the song we want to sing. (laughs) In the name of the Lord. (laughs) Cut them off. Cut them off. It's biblical. Just quoting scripture. On the freeway, I've embraced this. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. (laughs) Yeah. Not sure the... (laughs) Interpretation is correct, but anyway. <laughs> the Lord, 14. <laughs> Please don't do that on the freeway. The Pastor Michael says it. You get the little kid in the backseat. Pastor Michael says he does it. <laughs> okay, well, I'll try to collect ourselves here. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 118, some people say the origin of the psalm, since we know it's not a psalm of David, could be when they uh, placed the cornerstone of the temple after returning from the exile, Babylonian exile. Others say this was written by Moses reflecting on the Passover because there's language that fits with Exodus 15, the song of Moses. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You can look at Exodus 15, 2. We won't go there now, but very similar language. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. This language is also in Exodus 15 in the Song of Moses when God dealt with the Egyptian army. And there the children of Israel were up against the Red Sea and here came Pharaoh's armies and people were going, "Uh uh-oh. And in the movie, if you've seen Cecil B. DeMille's version of the Ten Commandments, Joel Brenner says, the God of Israel is a poor general. He's left them no way of escape. And here come the chariots of Pharaoh's army and the people are whining, I told you, Moses, we should go back. We're all gonna die here. And all of a sudden, the pillar of fire separates the Egyptian camp from the Israeli camp. And God is there and he will not allow them to touch his people. And he, ma- he makes his way, he makes the way open in the sea. And the language is with a blast of his nostrils. Man, just, you know, and I've showed this to you guys before. I think this should be added to children's songs in Sunday school. I think your children, with the hand motions, should also learn, bam! <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> this is also biblical. Boy, this is gonna, yeah, never mind. <laughs> because he opened up the sea and they, they pass on dry ground. And they say, 17, I shall not die. Think of the Red Sea. It looks like I'm gonna die. Oh, there's the pillar of fire. There's the Lord. He opens up a way where there seems no way. We're not gonna die. We're gonna live. How many times have you been brought maybe to that point where you thought, it's over for me? And then you were able to say, I shall not die. I'm going to live, and I'm going to tell of the works of the Lord. Amen? Uh, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, uh, Proverbs 13.1, but a scoffer won't listen to a rebuke Open to me, verse 19, the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the gate. Enter through me. You'll find pasture. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to thee, for thou hast answered me, and thou hast become my salvation. Now all of a sudden, this rich, Beautiful psalm becomes highly messianic. Look with me at verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This points to Christ. This is quoted, this verse is quoted uh, as the, the chief cornerstone verse is quoted very often in the New Testament, quoted by Jesus to his enemies The builders, the leaders of Israel rejected him as the chief cornerstone, but that is what he is. He is the one from which everything else is aligned. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You want to know the one who made Jesus the chief cornerstone? The Lord did. You could say the Father did. And there are people today who say, well, 
Can't you just have God without Jesus? Isn't there a way to, to know God without coming through Jesus? And the answer is no, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one is coming to the Father except through me. 1 John 2.23 says, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. You don't. And men are looking for loopholes and they're trying to figure out a way. But Jesus is the way because our sin must be atoned for. He's the gate. He's the way. And so he's the chief cornerstone. This is the day, verse 24, which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Would you turn to Isaiah, just a few pages to the right. Pass up Psalms, Proverbs, You'll get to Isaiah. Would you go to chapter 28? Isaiah 28, verse 14. Israel was in deep trouble because they they were looking for answers in all the wrong places, and they had a lot of pressure on them. And in Isaiah 28, verse 14, it says these words. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, 28, 14, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death. With Sheol, we have made a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by. For we have made falsehood our refuge. We have concealed ourselves with deception. 28.16, Isaiah. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed, He who believes in it will not be disturbed. And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. The hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the secret place and your covenant with death shall be canceled and your pact with Sheol shall not stand when the overwhelming scourge passes through then you become its trampling place. As often as it passes through, it will seize you. For morning after morning, it will pass through any time during the day or night. It will be sheer terror to understand what it means. The bed is too short on which to stretch out. The blanket is too small to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up at Mount Perizim, He will be stirred up as in the valley of Gibeon to do his task, his unusual task, and to work his work, his extraordinary work. And now, do not carry on as scoffers, lest your fetters be made stronger. For I have heard from the Lord, the God of hosts, of decisive destruction on all the earth. Would you go back to Psalm 118 and we'll be done. The the very rock that is the cornerstone can lift you up and become your foundation, and it can also crush you. And so Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and the people quoted this psalm. It was on their lips, for they sang it during the feast. They said, O Lord, 118.25, do save. Save is yasha. Save now, the word now is na. So when you translate it into, from Hebrew into English, you get Hosanna. So they said, Hosanna, save us now. We beseech thee, O Lord. We beseech thee, 
do send prosperity, and Jesus is riding in, and they're laying their garments on the road, a way to, as one of our precious sisters was praying uh, and, and uh, voicing in prayer, a way to say, we surrender, we lay our garments in the road, uh, representing us, you can trample on us, Lord, save us, whatever you say. Blessed is the one, they sang this in the Gospel of Luke, who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The multitudes were spreading their garments in the road. They were saying, Matthew 21, verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jerusalem was stirred. The city was saying, who is this? And as Jesus saw the city, he approached it. He saw the beauty of the temple. And among all the cheers and accolades, he wept over the city. Two times in that week, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus very early in the week and uh, very early in the previous week. And now he weeps over the city. This word weep, by the way, means to wail. It's not a tear coming down your face, a silent tear. He was wailing over the city. Why? Because they did not understand why he was riding in. And he said to them, if you, only you, had known in this day, this is the day which the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He's endowed with salvation. Do you understand that your prophecies tell you why he's coming? Not to deal with Rome, but to secure your soul. If you had known Luke 19, 42, in this day, even you, the things which make for shalom, peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes. And I say to you, Matthew 23, 39, you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Lord God, verse 27, Psalm 118, the Lord is God, he has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horn of the altar. Thou art my God, I give thanks to thee. Thou art my God, I extol thee. Give thanks to the Lord. It ends the way it began. For he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Let me ask you, is he your God? Can you say, thou art my God, verse 28. I will give thanks to you. My God, I extol you. We'll end with verse 27. Do you see where it says, bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar? Jewish tradition says they would bring the Passover lamb for the nation and parade it around the city. And it would represent the lamb that would be sacrificed for the national sins, if you will, or representing the nation. And the, the priests would parade it around the city and they would bring it then to the temple area, to the horns of the altar, and they would bind it there and it would be bound to those horns until it was sacrificed later that week. And Jesus was... Uh, lauded, accolades were given to him, and he was tested uh, that whole week, asked questions, and he was without spot or without blemish, and he swept the leaven out of his father's house, which is a Passover picture. He turned over the money changers' tables, and he said, get the leaven out of my father's house. This will be called a house of prayer. And they bound him at the end of the week and whipped him, and he was the 
the sacrifice for the nation, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was bound, taken to different locations to be tried and then ultimately whipped with a cat of nine tails to the point where many would even die under that. And then he carried his cross. And the Lamb of God was paraded around the city. And he said, if you knew what was going on here, you would know this is the time of your visitation. This, Jesus might say, voicing the psalm, is the day. Do you recognize it? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. When I look back at the cross, I look back at at it with a bittersweet attitude. Good Friday's coming this coming Friday, and part of me wants to cry, and part of me jumps for joy because it's there that he was bound to the cross for you and for me. Would you bow? Father, thank you. You are so good, so loving, so gracious to us. You decided that you would come to rescue us. You would be the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. And you rode in on Palm Sunday while people were waving palm branches and maybe thinking more nationalistic than salvific, (laughs) more about nationalism than salvation, but you had come to save us. This is the day. As we enter into Holy Week, Lord, let us be a thankful people. Let this psalm be a psalm on our hearts. Let us say, let us give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His hesed, his loving kindness is everlasting. Thank you that you don't give up on me when I blow it and I make mistakes and I don't act like I belong to you. When my thoughts and my ways don't reflect you, Thank you that you never give up on me. Your love never fails. So bless that person who's going through a rocky time right now, Lord. Bless that person who may be rejoicing as they approach Holy Week. Let us approach it. Let us prepare our hearts for the Seder meal on Wednesday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. Let us be about your business, Father. This church is becoming more and more active and being a witness in the community and evangelism and so many other things. And we just pray that you'd stir us, Lord, this week. Bless that person who may right now be wondering if they even know you. May they decide, may this be their day. That backslidden person who needs to be restored, may this be their day. Father, may we mark our calendars. that This was a turning point for many of us. If you're not a Christian and you want to decide for Christ, you must believe that he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead. And it's something like this. Pray it if it's you. Jesus, save me. Oh, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Thank you that you died on the cross. Pray it to him if it's you. And you rose to defeat death. Thank you for bearing my sin and paying my penalty. I trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. Please give me a new beginning today. Let this be the day. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.